all excited today. You have a special blessing today. We got uh, Pastor Nick is going to come bring us a message. I want to tell you, he sent me the message. I read it this morning at 5 o'clock, and uh, I'm excited. I want to hear it now. Hallelujah. Come on, brother. Good morning, everybody. Ooh, it's nice to see everybody. Welcome to all the newcomers. I see a lot of new faces. Before we get into this, I want to, children, if you want to release the children to Children's Church, I'm going to move this out for a little bit. So I want to pray before we get into it. Lord, I thank you, God, for this congregation. I thank you for the people here, Lord God. But I thank you for the word that you gave me, Lord God. And right now, I just empty myself out before you, Lord God, that you may use me. Father, speak through me. I stand before you as a vessel, Lord. Fill me so that you may speak to your people, that you may bless your people, Lord God. Let conviction come, Father. Holy Spirit, do what you are called to do, Father. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You know, there are things that, that every person in this room that God has destined you to do that he has planned for you to do. And if you read the word of God, there is always, when God has a purpose for somebody, there is always opposition to that purpose. You can see it throughout the Bible. And there are things that are going to come against you in your life that are sent for one purpose and one purpose alone, and it's to turn you away from the Lord, because if you turn away from the Lord, you'll never accomplish what he called you to accomplish, and you won't be saved. And I can tell you that the plans that he has for your life are far greater than you could ever dream or ever imagine. I've been serving the Lord almost 10 years now, and I can tell you what he's done in my life and through my life is far greater than I could ever plan on my own. Can anybody else attest to that? Like, I know there's people in here that have been serving the Lord longer than I have, that God moves in a person's life. When, he, when somebody comes to accept Jesus Christ, he does more with your life than you could ever plan or imagine. And the best part, he's not done yet. But I want to tell you this, contrary to how TikTok videos make Christianity seem, your walk with Christ will not be easy. It was never meant to be a cakewalk. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. The easy way for, to go in this life is to go out and live in the world, because you can do what you want. Anything goes. You can do what you want, when you want it. But how many of us know that sin's only fun for a season? You know, you can do anything you want in your world, in, in the world, but there's going to come a point where you're going to reap everything that you're sowing. If walking with Jesus and, and, and living the life he calls us to live was so easy, then everybody would be doing it. But Jesus said that narrow is the gate. Difficult is the way. And he said there are few who find it. Not everybody is going to heaven. We need to understand that not everybody is going to heaven. If you're choosing to follow Christ, you're soon going to find out that this life is a fight. And it's a fight that, you, that will last either until you die or until Jesus comes back, if you're still here when that happens. But it's a fight that's absolutely necessary. And it's a fight that you as a believer must be engaged in. So the title of today's message is The Fight for Your Life. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, he said, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
So a little background on Timothy. Timothy was a, was a, a guy that along, when, when Paul was, was ministering in the book of Acts, if you read it, he picked up Timothy along the way, and Timothy stayed with him for a while, and he was under Paul. And Paul viewed this guy as a son in the faith, and likewise, Timothy viewed Paul as a father in the faith. But after a while, Paul set Timothy in as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So when you read the book of Ephesians, he was the pastor of that church. And if you read 1 Timothy, Paul continually gives Timothy instruction and warning that, hey, there are things that are coming to get that, that are coming against you. So don't think for a second that once you've gotten to this point in your life that it's just going to be easy from here on out. There are going to be enemies that are coming your way, and you are going to have to fight them. And in the same manner, there are, there are enemies that are coming against your life as a believer that you are going to have to fight against. You have no other choice if you want to continue walking with Christ. And the first thing that you have to know about this fight the fight against these enemies is what Paul told Timothy. He said, fight the good fight. You got to understand that this is a good fight. This is a good fight that you're fighting. And why is it a good fight? Like, I don't know if men, for the men in here, I don't know about you, but I like a good fight. I like seeing two guys go at it, blow for blow, round after round, until there's a victor. And, but I like it more when, when somebody's an underdog and they're getting the snot beat out of them for a while. And then all of a sudden the, the, the fight changes and they start coming back and they actually win. I love that. There's something in us that loves a comeback out of people, and I believe, that's, I believe that's the Lord because the Lord loves a comeback out of somebody. He loves seeing somebody that was busted, broken, disgusted. When they turn to him, he takes them and he flips the whole script around. But this fight isn't a good fight because of the punches that are going to be thrown. It's not a good fight because there's a potential for a comeback. It's a good fight because of who's in the fight with you. And if he's in a fight with you, it doesn't matter what battle in, it doesn't matter who you're facing. If he's in the battle with you, you're going to win hands down, no competition, because we are talking about somebody who from the beginning of time has never lost and will never lose a battle. And if he's in the battle with you, it doesn't matter what you're going to face, you will win. He is so good, I want you to think about this. He is so good at, at, at winning that even when it looks like he's losing... He wins. That's what happened on the cross. The, the enemy th said, man, I got him now. He lost. Only to flip it around and say, no, 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 you lost. It may look like I'm losing, but really I'm winning. And in, in your life, it may look like you're losing, but you're going to win in the end. So let's get right into the opposition. I'm going to give you a list of four enemies. If you're taking notes, I suggest you take notes because I'm telling you these are things that you're going to fight with your whole life. So the, four, the list of four main enemies that you'll encounter in this fight, the first enemy is the world. And these aren't in any particular order because you have to un understand something about enemies in your life. That it's not like one enemy is, is more dangerous than the other. When it comes to enemy in God's sight, every enemy that you're going to encounter is an equal threat in your life. This is a fight for your life. So in case you didn't know, know it, the world is your enemy. And when I say the world, I don't mean the people of the world. I don't mean the very ground you're walking on. I don't even mean the possessions of the world. Even though you, they can become an idol if you let them. When I say the world, I mean the systems of the world. I mean the ways of the world. I mean the mindset of the world that stands completely contrary to everything that Jesus is. The, the Apostle John said this about the world in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. 
I want to tell you something. When, when we have to understand this, that when Jesus saves somebody, he saves you out of the world. He calls you, to, he calls you out of everything that you were involved in. He calls you to come out of everything that you've known, everything that you've been comfortable in. And that's where, the, and that's where this fight starts with this enemy. As soon as you're called out, that's where this fight starts. Because the world is coming after you. And as soon as you come out of it, the world's coming after you. It's like getting out of a bad relationship with someone, and all of a sudden you get a text from them that says, I miss you. You ever had that happen in your life? You get a bad relationship, especially like, in my case, like you get a bad relationship with a girl, and then all of a sudden she, she texts you, I miss you. Well, let me tell you something. As a Christian, you need to block and delete that number. Because I'm, Look, I'm telling you, you block and delete that number as quickly as possible, because if you don't and you choose to, get, to go back to what you were involved in, the Bible says that your end is going to be worse than your beginning was. Second Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, this is powerful. For it, Peter said, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's talking about people that came out of the world, got saved. He said, if they are entangled again in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it and to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. I had a friend. I'm going to tell you this. This is scary. I had a friend, very close friend to me in high school. I'm not going to name his name. But this guy got saved, legitly saved. And I could see it. I, knew, I didn't know what he had, but I knew he had something. I could see the joy of the Lord on this dude. And he separated from us because we were devils, man. I was living a life headlong in sin. And he separated from us. And when I got saved, we hung out for a little while. And I ended up moving to Covington after I got saved. Well, time went on. I fell out of contact with him. And I was hearing different things. I was hearing different things. Something happened with his church. And, you know, he, he ended up turning away from the Lord. So fell, I, I would talk to him. And, like, man, he, it was just like, it was almost like he was losing his mind. You know, like the stuff they were saying, I'm like, man, like this is crazy, you know. Well, I was witnessing one day, and I got this phone call from this number, this 985 number, and I was like, man, I need to answer this. I just had this feeling on the, on the inside. I was like, man, I got to answer this. So I answered it, and it ended up being this guy's dad. And he's like, who is this? And I told him my name. And he's like, how do you know my son? I said, well, I said, we were good friends in high school. I said, I haven't seen him in a while. Um, I said, how is he doing? He's like, not good. I said, okay. He said, he said he's in the hospital. So I'm like, dude, I'm like, man, he must have gotten a wreck. He must have gotten something, you know? So he's like, no. I said, I said uh, can I go see him? You know, he's like, nah. He said, it's not that type of hospital. He said, he's actually in a mental hospital. And I was like, Phew. I said, okay. I said, well, I said, let him know that I talked to you after he gets out, and I'll talk to him. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. This guy, when I talked to him, it was like I was talking to a totally different person. He went insane. Peter just said that your end is going to be worse than your beginning. Because he said that it would have been better for you to never have known the truth than to know the truth and to turn from it. That should scare the daylights out of you. People need to fear walking away from the Lord. If there's one thing that the church in America has lost as a whole is the fear of God. I fear for people when they walk away from Jesus because I know the end result. I've been around the block. I've seen what happens to people. I've been saying this for years now, but it's the love and the goodness of God that will draw a sinner to repentance, but it's the fear of God that will keep them. You fearing God will keep you walking with Jesus all the days of your life. 
And what kills me the most is when people are willing to just throw everything away that God has called them to and destined them to be, to go their own way and attain something, obtain something so temporary and so superficial. Like, you got to understand something about the world. John just said the world's passing away. So for people to go after the world, it's so temporary and so superficial that you're willing to give up eternity and your eternal purpose that God has called you to because you want to go run after something that's so temporary, and when you die, you're not even going to have it. Like, don't you know what you had? Don't you know who you were serving? What does the world have to offer you that is greater than what Jesus is offering you? Jesus said in Mark 8, verses 36 through 37, he said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? The whole world, you can, get, you can get it all, yet forfeit their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What good is it for you to go out there, get everything you want in the world, do everything that you want to do, and still end up in hell? What kind of life is that? You've got you to you ask yourself that. What kind of life is that? The problem is that people are willing to more, put more value on the things around them than what God has placed in them. And they're deceived into thinking that they'll live the way they want to live and just get right with Jesus later on or on their deathbed. But let me tell you something about that. That's pretty risky. That's pretty, I don't know about you, but it seems pretty risky to me. Not everybody dies a slow death on the deathbed. Not everybody dies of cancer. A lot of times people die of split-second decisions, car wrecks, overdoses, to where you don't even have time to cry out for, to Jesus for repentance. So what are you going to do? You're gonna, you willing to bet your whole eternity on a chance that you might not get? What is this world? You know what I'm saying? Jesus has everything for you. This world has nothing. And like I said, when you die, you're not taking any of it with you anyway. Paul said, Paul said, he said, he said, I'm confident of this. We brought nothing into this world, and I'm confident that we're not taking anything out with it. I'm not, we're not taking anything, not what you're wearing, not anything, not your cars, anything. The second enemy you're going to face is, is the devil. The devil. The term the devil or Satan is literally translated as the slanderer, accuser, adversary, one who resists God and God's people. And you have to understand this about the devil, that it's, it's his one and only job to make sure that he does everything within his power to get you to try, to try to turn from Christ. Because he knows that if you turn from Christ, like I said in the beginning, if you turn from Christ, the plan for your life will never go forward and you won't be saved. And that's the only way he can get back at God. you got to understand something. Satan was thrown out of heaven, and he's not allowed to back in. So the only way he can get back at God is to try to keep his creation, which is us, from him. It's like he's saying, okay, you're not going to let me back up there? Well, guess what? Your creation is not going to be up there anyway, either. So that's his one goal. And he's going to use three things to do that. And the first of it, the first one, the first thing that first tool that he's going to use to try to get you to turn away from Jesus and try to get try to, to get the plan of your life from going forward is temptation. Temptation has one purpose, and that's to try to get you to sin and turn back to the very thing that you used to be bound to and the person that you used to be. And let me tell you something: the, the devil knows your candy. He knows what you're going to bite on. He's going to put it right in front of your face. See, the one thing that people don't understand about the devil. Is Jesus maybe a fisher of men, but the devil's a fisher of men too. And he knows what bait to put on that line and put it right in front of you. And you may not hit it. You may not hit on it. You may not bite at it first, but the longer it's in front of your face, he knows, he knows that eventually you're going to bite on it. He's looking to see how much you're going to compromise. Because if I throw it out there and you compromise just a little bit, 
I know the next time I throw it out there, you're going to compromise even more and then a little more until you're, you're in full-blown sin. You can't mess with temptation. But the problem is that we like to flirt with the enemy and dabble in what we used to be bound to. But what you don't know is, is in doing that, you're falling right into the trap that the devil's setting for you. I was reading in Genesis probably three or four weeks ago, and I came across the story of Lot when him and Abram parted ways. The land wasn't enough for him, so they departed ways. Abraham went one, one way, and then Lot went the other. And it said that Lot chose to go to the war of the land of Sodom because it looked good. And it says that when he got to a particular spot, he pitched his tent. You got to catch this. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now, Sodom was a place of wickedness. He pinched his tent towards Sodom. What happened a, a couple chapters later, if you read it, he's living in a house in Sodom. So guess what? If you pitch your tent towards sin and towards temptation, what is temporary in your life will always become permanent. That temporary, you may, you may indulge in that sin and may like, oh, man, like I'm not going to do it again. And next thing you know, you're full-blown into it, bound to it. It's a permanent residence in your life. The devil will make sin and temptation look so good. It looks so good to, to, to Lot. That land looks so good. But he'll never show you the end result of it. Lot didn't know the end result of his, what, it, what the end result of his actions would be. And if it wasn't for the mercy of God, Lot would have died in Sodom. Because God rained down judgment on Sodom. So we can't be offended when someone tries to speak into our lives about what God says is wrong. There's something in our life that, that, that is wrong according to God, and they're not giving you your own, their own opinion, and it's the word of God. I can't be offended at that because you got to view it as that's God trying to bring you out of what you're in so you don't come under the same judgment that the whole rest of the world is coming in. Sin will numb you towards God and eventually deceive you into thinking that that thing is all right in your life. It was a gradual process with Lot. Lot didn't just go live in a, all, like, fr from the get-go, he didn't just go and live in a house in, in, in Sodom. It was a gradual process. His temporary dwelling facing towards Sodom at, ended up with him being in Sodom in a permanent residence in a house. It's a gradual process for people. And let me tell you when it's all right for sin to be in your life. Never. Never. It's never all right for a believer to have sin in a life. After we get saved, the only reason we sin is because we want to, not because we have to. God gave you his Holy Spirit and authority to be, to be delivered from sin, not to live in it. The grace of God, if you read about the grace of God, people think that a grace is just, grace is just this, this stamp that God puts on people's sin, and it's all right, you can do what you want. That's not true. If you read the book of Titus, Paul told Titus, he said, the grace of God is what, tells us, what teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That's the true grace of God. This isn't greasy grace. If you love what you're in, you'll never fight. If you love what you're in, you'll never fight. The fight doesn't come unless you're willing to lay it down and actually follow Jesus. The devil doesn't fight people that are actually following him. He fights those who have made a decision to follow Jesus. The second tool that the devil is going to bring into your life to try to get you turned from Jesus is this, is lies. 
If he can't get what you if he can't get you with temptation, he'll try with lies. He'll try to lie about he'll try to lie to you about who you are in Christ. He'll try to convince you that you're useless and that God doesn't really have a plan for your life. But I love this one. He'll even try to lie to you about other people around you, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, to get you to turn on them. And I'm going to say that again. He will lie to you about the people around you, especially your brothers and sisters, because he wants you to turn from them. He wants you to turn on them. That's not God. you got to understand something. The devil is one purpose in the the church of God is to bring division, because if he brings division, then the house will fall. You can't entertain lies from the devil. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8, 44, he said this. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. The devil cannot speak truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lies bring about confusion, and the devil is the author of confusion. The only way that you can combat, combat a lie of the enemy is that you have to come out of agreement with that thing and believe the truth that is in God's word. The third thing that the, third thing that the devil is going to use against you is this, is accusations and slander. This is his nature. This is the only thing that he does. If the devil can't get you a lie, he'll try accusations and slander. And the one purpose of accusations and slander is to bring condemnation to you on a point where you become so discouraged that you don't even want to go on as you just feel like quitting. And you get to this point where you're left with a feeling like, what's the point? I can't do anything right. And when you get to that point, that's not God. You got to understand, like that condemnation coming on to you, if it's making you want to quit this thing, then that's not God. And that's the condemnation from the, from the devil. But I want to I make this point. That Paul said this in Romans 8.1. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice this part who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice that he said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus walking according to the Spirit. There is is condemnation for those who walk according to the flesh, who choose to willingly sin. There is condemnation for that. But when you're in Christ and you're walking according to the Spirit, if you're feeling any condemnation, that's not from God. And you have to shun that. Because that is a tool to try to get you to turn away from the Lord, but you have to keep pressing on, and you got to fight for your life. The third enemy you're going to face is this, is your flesh. And this enemy is important because it's the one that's always with you. You won't always have to fight against the world. You won't always have to fight against the devil, but the flesh will always be with you. You can label this enemy your closest enemy. Your flesh is where your sinful nature originates and dwells, and it's ever seeking to become the most dominant entity in your life. And what I mean by that is this, is when somebody gets saved, they're no longer under the control of their flesh. God's spirit comes into their life, brings their spirit back to life, and they're no longer under the dictates of the flesh, and he causes them to live a a life of holiness in God. But that's where the fight comes in. Because the Spirit of God wants to be top dog in your life. But your flesh wants to be top dog too. So there's a constant struggle between the two. And whichever one that you cater to more is going to be the one that's more dominant in your life. 
Paul said this in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 17. He said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the, against the Spirit. There's the fight we're talking about. And the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. That's the fight between the Spirit and the flesh. They're always contrary to each other. They're never going to agree. You will always fight with this for your entire life. But Paul said this in Romans 8.13 too. He said, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And what is he talking about? Is he talking about dying a physical death? He's No, he's not talking about dying a physical death. He's talking about dying a spiritual death. If you live according to your flesh and what your flesh wants, you will die spiritually. But he says this, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, meaning your flesh, you will live. You will live spiritually. And this is why I'm saying this is the fight for your life because if you don't kill what this flesh is trying to bring you, then it will kill you spiritually. The flesh is never satisfied, and if you live by what the flesh wants, you're going to find yourself falling constantly into the temptations of the devil, and you'll find yourself before long living life back in the world. It's a fight for your life. The fourth enemy you're going to face is this, is your will. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines a person's will as this. It's the power of control over one's own actions or emotions. And you may be saying, well, why is my will considered my enemy? Good question. The answer is simple. Is that what you want for your life and what Jesus wants for your life are two totally different things. Your will is going to have you doing things that you've only been used to in your life. And a lot of times, that life that you would plan for yourself is just going to be all about you. But when, when you're submitted to God's will, he's going to be having things, he's going to be having you do things that you've never done in your life. Because God's kingdom is totally opposite from the world that you're living in. And that's why God said, I know the plans that I have for you. He said, I know the plans I have for you. And Paul said, no eye has seen and no ear has heard the things that God has in store for those who love him. It's that God has in store. And it should be our aims, aim as Christians that we want his will for our lives in, in every matter, not our own will. You should be able to say, Jesus, I want whatever you want for me. If you can't say that, then you're probably not living according to the will of God in your life. If you can't confidently say, Jesus, I, want, I don't care what it is. I want to I go where you want me to go. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to work where you want me to work. I want to marry who you want me to marry. Is that your heart? Or are you just content with saying, ah, this is good enough? Because that's what a lot of people do is, uh, you know, I don't really know if this is the will of God for my life, but it's good enough. I'll take it. Not me. Not my life. I'm telling you right now, God's plans for your life are far greater than you could ever plan. And I don't want what I want from me. I don't want to sell myself short. If he has something for me, I want everything he has for me. And we have to also be willing to say, Jesus, if something is wrong, then it's wrong. And if something is right, then it's right. I'm not going to try to twist your word to fit what I want. People will do that. When you want something so bad and it's not according to the will of God or if it's sin, they'll try to twist God's word so much because they want it to be, they want it to be right. If it's God's will, you won't have to twist anything. God never has to twist his own word to give you what he wants. God is looking for people who are willing to give up control to him so that he can use them as he sees fit. So knowing that we have these four enemies and knowing that we have no choice but to fight against them, how do we fight? That's the question. How do we fight? How am I supposed to conquer these enemies? 
And if you remember in our key verse, First uh, Timothy six twelve, Paul said, he said to fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life. And what Paul was talking about there, that this was an allusion to the Greek races at the time. When he's saying fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life, he was using an allusion to the crown of victory that was, that was the reward of whoever won that race. So he's saying you have to take hold of your reward if you're going to fight this fight. But I would submit this to you, that your reward isn't living forever. It's not going to heaven. Your reward is Jesus. And you have to be willing to, to, to take hold and embrace everything that he is if you plan on fighting this fight. But in order to embrace him, I have to go to the place, I have to go to the place where my last enemy was defeated. I have to embrace the place where my last enemy was defeated 2,000 years ago. And what was the last enemy? Your last enemy is death. And we're all going to face that. Jesus on that cross defeated death. That was your last enemy. And I have to go to that place. I have to go to the place where my, my, my freedom is. I have to go to the place where my healing is. I have to go to the place that is the source of everything I'm going to need in my life. But I'm going to tell you this. I think there is a common misconception about what it means to come and embrace the cross. Jeremy, would you come? Hmm. Come here. So we can't embrace that cross that's on a wall. You wouldn't be, it'd look funny if you did that. <laughs> embrace this. That's what an embrace looks like. But I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna show you what, 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 it, what it looks like when most people do today. Just go ahead and grab some stuff. Hold on, hold on, there's more. There's more. Here we go. All right, now go to the cross. This is our cross, everybody. Now try and embrace this cross. I don't think you can do it. What do you have to do in order to embrace the cross? Release. You got to lay it down. I can't embrace this 